0: are made possible by donations from people like you. Um, so, the title of the, the talk this morning is uh, Alive or Dead. No, it's uh, based upon 2011 statistics. There's um, On this planet, every second, four humans are born and two two nearly die each second. That's equivalent to 360,000 births per day and 151,000 deaths each day. Same as the one that just passed a second ago. Just before we came into the um, to begin the this morning's sitting, it was uh, couldn't have been managed better. Stage managed better. It was uh, the radio was playing um, Leonard Cohen singing "Bird on a Wire," mm-hmm. one of my favourite songs. I think a lot of people have made one sometimes request that uh, like a bird on a wire, like a drunk in a midnight choir, I have tried in my way to be free and great upon the tombstones. <coughs> Not that I'll be having a tombstones. <coughs> mm. Of course, that's from the, uh, from the relative perspective. We try our best to be free. Uh, from the uh, the absolute perspective in Buddhism, we're already free. Um, during the course of this session, and probably for the, uh, the rest of your life, or the, if you practice Zen Buddhism, for the rest of your life, you'll always be exploring this relationship between the relative and the absolute. And uh, so the uh, The talk this morning is is more about the 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 relative dimension of life and death. Um, From the human perspective, the inevitability of death, the the finality of ending. I'm appreciating that. And and what that understanding of that experience, how that can teach us how to live our lives. So how that knowledge of our, of our death can, can teach us how to live life fully. Tonight and, and, and tomorrow I'll be perhaps focusing more on the absolute perspective. Um, the question of who dies, and um, these are the, the what I call the the, the Prajna Paramita teachings, or the, the wisdom beyond wisdom teachings in in Zen Buddhism, and um, and it's from that place that we ask that question, who dies, from the absolute perspective. The teachings there of the, the unborn and the undying which the Prajna Paramita teachings teach us. But I'm going to start the talk off today with a little Zen story. Um, in our uh, ordinary mind Zen school, we don't uh, take up koans as a form of meditation, but we often uh, enjoy reading these old stories and trying to make sense out of them. So in the Zen tradition, the, the Koan literature are really just collections of stories that were passed down from one generation to the next, um, starting in China. And usually just about a, uh, some form of, um, it's usually a conversation between uh, the Zen teacher and the monk. Uh, this one's taken from uh, what's known as the Secrets of the Blue Cliff Record. <coughs> and uh, it's case 54 uh, and uh, the actual stories about a, uh, an old teacher and his monk disciple they're making a condolence call uh, to a family where someone's recently passed away and um, the family would be gathered around and the coffin would be in the middle there and uh, and uh, they would do the, the various rituals and, and, and rites uh, as for a funeral service. And uh, and uh, this is where the story begins, where the, the, the younger monk uh, tries to take this as an opportunity to find out the secret of life and death from the Master. So. The... Uh, <clears throat> Dogo and, and Zengin went to a home to make a condolence call. So Dogo is the, the master and Zengin is the disciple. Zengin hit the coffin and said, Alive, dead. Dogo said, Alive, I won't say. Dead, I won't say either. Zengen said, Why won't you say? And Dogo said, I won't say. I won't say. (coughs) As they were returning, halfway back, Zengen said, Master, tell me at once, or I'll hit you. At the end of those (coughs) days. (coughs) Dogo said, Hit me all you want, but I still won't say. It was a very kindly Zen master. Zengin then hit him. Some years after that, uh, Dogo passed away. So Zengin, being without a master, went to another master, to a master called Sakiso, and he related the foregoing story. Sikiso said, in response, Alive, I won't say. Dead, I won't say either. Zengen said, Why won't you say? Sikiso said, I won't say, I won't say. At these words, Zengen had an insight. So some time later, um, Zengin went to the teaching auditorium um, and he was carrying a garden hoe and he crossed back and forth, east to west, west to east. And Sikisa said, What are you doing? And Zengin said, I'm looking for relics of our late teacher. Sikisa said, Enormous waves roll far and wide, <coughs> foaming billows flood the skies. What relics of the late teacher are you looking for? So, um, just a little a bit of background. Uh, and then I'll just say a little bit about the story Um, in a sense um, like many of us who have lost a loved one or a family member or friend um, no matter what age we may have been um, at that time especially when you have the good fortune to be there at the, the final breath the person takes but, um, but even so, even when you're not there right at the end, just being with someone who's in the dying process um, and you, you see that the body coming to its uh, final stage of life and, and then suddenly there's a, a last breath of, where did that person go to? Kind of feeling, you know, Where did she or he? Where have they gone? And um, and I guess that's the kind of one of the kind of maybe questions, and that's uh, motivating the the young monks, and as well as you know he's, he. he, he, he Obviously, like most of us, when we start practicing Zen or some other kind of um, esoteric uh, spiritual practice, we think there's some hidden secret that the Master knows. You know, Masters have made lots of money by pretending to have hidden secrets. People are quite willing to pay money for the hidden secret. Um, So, let me tell you, uh, as my teacher Barry says, there's nothing hidden. There's no hidden secret. Um, But he's, um, you know, that sense that we have, that genuine sense of wondering where that person's gone to. It's quite a mystery. And the first time when his master says, I can't say, I can't say, I can't say alive, I can't say dead. Zengin, the young monk, gets very frustrated with that, with that answer, doesn't he? Um, he's wanting more than that. He doesn't quite realise the first time around that that's the presentation that's been given to him. That is the answer that's been given to him.
1: So, I mean, just a little bit of
0: background on that, kind of from a Buddhist Zen perspective. Um, you know, when the, when the historical Buddha was alive, You know, two thousand five hundred years ago, whenever it was, Um, the dominant culture and the dominant spirituality, religion in India was Hinduism, and um, you know the basic teaching of Hinduism was about the uh, the quest was liberation from the cycle of birth and death. They call it moksha, I think. And liberation from the cycle of samsara, birth and death. And um, in Indi- Indian spirituality, a little bit like Christianity, was um, <coughs> kind of like saw the world of, of, of the material world, the world of form, the world of bodies, as being a kind of uh, a bit of an illusion, and, and not quite as real as the spiritual world, and which they call Brahma, Brahman. Uh, a Brahman is, is, is the one supreme being. And, um, and so the idea was in Hindu spirituality was to be a very small number of people who have been practicing for you know, lifetimes after lifetimes after lifetimes would eventually achieve this liberation and become one with Brahman and would never be reborn again. Now, um, the radicalism of the Buddha's teaching was that uh, he didn't actually teach that. Um, so, um, on the one hand, while acknowledging the fact that everything is interconnected and everything is one in that sense, that we're not separate from the universe, that we are the universe and everything's interconnected the experience of being a human being, uh, in other words, the universe experiencing itself as a human being, is also part of our experience. And So in, in, in one sense we're neither one nor separate, um, it's, uh, it's kind of like we, we have to try and maintain both. It's, so it's, it's, it's trying to overcome a duality, uh, non a non-dual kind of teaching. Um, that uh, so if, if, if we really be non-dual about it then this reality that we experience is just as much real as any other reality and so in a sense the, the, this presentation of can't say, can't say it's saying, uh, is uh, not going to get caught up in that either or question mm. you know, is the person dead, is the person alive <coughs> neither is it getting caught up in the and and both Um, it's just leaving that as a mystery for us to to Mm. contemplate. Um, On a more personal level, um, you know, we could also look at the uh, question on a more psychological point of view and... uh, where uh, Zengin is, is, is caught up in this questioning. and in a mm-hmm. sense, you could say, he is caught up in concepts um, And um, you could ask, we could have asked Zengin, "Are you alive or dead?" Um, from, a, from a Zen perspective in a sense, um, when we get identified and get caught up in ruminating in our thoughts and our stories. Um, often, metaphorically speaking, that can be seen as a form of, of deadness. Whereas the, the aliveness, alive, alive, life itself is always immediate and it's always this moment and um, you know, it, it can never be uh, reduced to a story. Um, it's only something that can be directly experienced. Like we're doing in Zazen. When we're doing our just sitting practice, we're just wanting to become one with life itself. Uh, we become the answer through that practice. You know, Dogen talked about practice being enlightenment, practice being realization. In our practice, we, we free ourselves from the, the, the delusions, the thoughts, and the stories we get caught in, and we actually. Um, Go straight to the heart of the matter, beyond thinking, you know, beyond normal wisdom, beyond normal knowledge. You know, so Zeng is caught up in this, you know, this seeking, is trying to find the secret. And uh, as long as you know you're caught up in that seeking and trying to find the secret, thinking that you lack something, then you're always a bit off the mark. You know, so, there is no secret it's fully revealed every moment your original face appears moment after moment it's always here and it's always now another uh, way in which we kind of die is we get often caught up in the sense of um, um, a fantasy about um, this can't be it. Like, you know, often mm-hmm. when people come to Zen practice or some other form of practice, it's, it's motivated by this kind of feeling that this can't be it, there's not got to be more than this to it. And, um, and we can get caught up in those kinds of what, what you know, my teacher Barry calls curative fantasies, you know, really. We could we could spend our whole life searching for that secret, for that one big thing that's going to do it for us, right? and um, there's a a song written by uh, an Australian singer-songwriter, I think he was actually born in Scotland, Colin Hay. Was he born in Scotland? Yeah. yeah. yeah <coughs> in the, uh, that was the the band that did the I um, Come from the Land Down Under. He? Yeah. 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 Yeah, Colin Hay. For he was from, used to be with Men at Work, and he's a solo artist now. And uh, I'll just read about. I'll read some lyrics out. Yeah. Any minute now. This is from his perspective. My ship is coming in. I'll keep checking the horizon. You know, it's always looking towards <coughs> the future. I'll stand on the bow, or is that, is that bow or bow is on a boat? Bow. bow. Yeah. bow feel the waves come crashing, come crashing down, down, down on me. You know, we sometimes feel the sense of the life come crashing down on us. And we're wanting to escape that into some future dream. Then he says, and you say, be still, my love. Open up your heart. Let the light shine in. Yeah, it's a lovely partner, doesn't it? I assume it's a she, and she's saying, be still my love, open up your heart, let the light shine in. That's what we're doing here in our Zen practice. Hmm. But he says, don't you understand? I already have a plan. I'm waiting for my real life to begin. He continues, when I awoke today, suddenly nothing happened. <laughs> wow! <coughs> Has anything happened here today? <laughs> <laughs> but in my dreams, he says, I slew the dragon. You know, this this sense of wanting to be a hero of some kind. And down this beaten path, up this cobbled lane, I'm walking in my old footsteps once again. Repeating the past, I guess. And he says, and you say, and you say, just be here now. (laughs) (laughs) Forget about the past. Your mask is wearing thin. He says, just let me throw one more dice. Mm. I know that I can win. Mm. I'm waiting for my real life to begin. Any minute now, my ship is coming in. I'll keep checking the horizon. And I'll check my machine. There's sure to be that call. In the old days, when you had the answering machines. <laughs> it's going to happen soon. Soon? Oh, so very soon. It's just that times are lean. And you say, Be still, my love. Open up your heart. Let the light shine in. Don't you understand? Or I already have a plan. I'm waiting for my real life to begin. On a clear day, I can see. I can see for a long way. On a clear day, I can see, see for a long way. So there's a nice uh, example of a kind of you know, fork, a choice we can make. Are we going to be here and be still and open our hearts up to this moment? <coughs> are, we, are we going to be continually looking for our real life to begin sometime in the future? How often, how many times I, I got caught up in that kind of way of being, really? You know, um, could be many things, couldn't it? Like, when I find that perfect partner, my real life's going to begin, you know, when I, when I get that perfect little cottage, my real life's going to begin. When I get that PhD, my real life's going to begin. <laughs> when I become a Zen teacher, my real life's going to begin. Uh, <laughs> when I release that album, my real life's going to begin how many other examples do you have from your own <laughs> life? <laughs> Grand illusion. So, you know, um, so this is one of the great uh, gifts that death gives us. Like, um, Don't wait. Don't wait for your real life to begin. Live it now. Live it now. There's a, a little quote here from, which many of you have probably heard before because it's been around a long time. Um, but, um, and it was, went, it's gone through many different versions. But this one is from uh, 1951. The mountaineer William Hutchinson Murray, Scottish, published the Scottish Himalayan Expedition. He wrote a compelling passage about commencing a task. And he included a couplet with an attribution to Goethe, the German poet, from the 19th century. It goes like this. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. At the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favour all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no man or woman could have dreamt would have come their way. I have learned a deep respect for one of Goethe's couplets. Whatever you can do, or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. It's very similar to um, the um, the mythologist Joseph Campbell. You've seen his work or seen his. um, Series uh, The Power of Myth, where he talks about follow your bliss, you know, and the universe will work with you in that sense, you know. Um, You've got to put it out there, and uh, whenever you engage with something with deep, genuine commitment and sincerity, the universe will always respond in a similar way. Faith in that and trust in that. You know, we're all here, uh, sharing this precious time together. We've all been brought to this one place at this one time. All our different journeys coming together for this one weekend. Uh, Hopefully we'll all see each other again. Sometimes some of us might not see each other again. But for this one precious weekend, we have some time to share with each other. Now, everything is impermanent, but impermanence has a beauty. There could be no life without impermanence, no life without death. You can't have one without the other. Everything has to give way for the next moment. You know, the ripe apples have to fall from the tree for the new apples to come forth. There's a beautiful line though in that story too where he's, when he walks across the teaching hall uh, with his gardening hoe. And he's looking for the relics of his of his teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, many ways of interpreting what that could be, what could be meant by the lyrics. I mean, we could, you know, traditionally in Buddhism, you'll, you know, you've got places like Burma or Bodhigaya or somewhere there'd be, you know, the relics of the Buddha's tooth or something like mm-hmm. that. But like, um, mm-hmm. um, I don't think he, you know, there's something very touching about that scene. I think he's actually. Um, you know, even though um, everything is transient and impermanent, and from the perspective of the Heart Sutra, you know, the the wisdom teachings, there is no self, there is no permanent self. I mean, you know, the the Buddhism teaches, it does, like, the Buddha didn't teach eternalism, the notion of a permanent soul, the notion of a permanent sort of supreme being. But neither did he teach um, uh, annihilation, or the, the sense of that is everything goes. And and so there's a sense in which, when I thought of that word relics, uh, when I thought of my mum, it was more about what is it that continues? You know, when someone you love dies, the body doesn't continue. Well, it does in a way. If it, if it gets buried, it gets eaten by the worms, etc., and the worms, you know, go on and make more worms, and etc., etc. But from a human point of view, um, you know, you, you, her life continues in the lives of others, doesn't it? Mm. You. And I, I realised that when I was um, listening to some of my uh, my nephew and my niece speak at the funeral, and. Uh, how much my mother meant to them, mm-hmm. and even uh, uh, my mum's uh, great-grandson, who also said some words at the funeral, and so the sense in which uh, her life lives on in the lives of others, and that, that ripple of that continuous rippling, which you know, makes me uh, connects me to the, this, this sort of the notion in Zen where we. We kind of like acknowledge the ancestors, you know, going all the way back to Shakyamuni Buddha, right up to now, and the same way in indigenous cultures, which acknowledge the ancestors, the importance of how uh, that gets passed on, you know, the baton gets passed on to the next generation, the baton of, of, of important values and teachings, we pass them on. So, we don't totally disappear in that sense, do we?